You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. And so a fun little fact about possums, these 100 species of possums in the New World, is that they have one of the greatest ranges in size. What can they teach us? I love opossums, opossums, not only because they do other things for the environment, but this one, they're one of the major species that keep ticks in check. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. Angie, these are one of my favorite animals, hidden, quiet, that not a lot of people know. <laughs> that, uh, I know, I love Chris. these animals. Oh, I was so lucky years ago when I was just a young novice zookeeper, I got to work with an education possum and Mm -hmm. he was amazing and taught me to really just open up my love for possums, opossums, Mm -hmm. however you want to say it. And we're going to, we're going to dive into it. Uh, I got out the good old Miriam dictionary website and uh, figured out (laughs) all the proper names that we call our, yeah, that we call our, uh, furry little marsupials, the only ones in North America. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, Mm -hmm. you know, I go back to when I did wildlife rehab and probably saved, I want to say 50 to 60 opossums that hand raised and then released back into the wild. So, you know, that's why- So you're a possum whisperer. I always say that about you. They were, oh, they were, when they're babies, they're the cutest things in the world. They're just the cute, they're so cute as babies. Yeah, as adults, they're like, eh, you know, just ugly that you love them. But the babies, when you hold them in your hand, you have to wrap them, you know, so that they're they're warm and then you feed them the milk and uh, the, the mixtures and stuff I had to put together for them. So yeah, they, they have a soft place in my heart and they were always fun to work with. And then release and release back in the wild. So yes. it was amazing. Well, and we get yeah. to talk about today too the role of the opossum in North America because they have a great ecosystem role. And I must say, in the past couple years, I feel like there has been some more positive media, social media about opossums instead of mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. like, oh, they're not they're ugly or whatever yeah. it is. So that's hopeful. And by the end of this podcast, I promise you, if you're not an opossum fan, you 
will be. Will be. Uh, you will because be. Because they are just amazing. And I just can't get over the number of species. Of course, that, today we're going to focus yeah. on the Virginia opossum, <laughs> which possum. is cute. Chris opossum, texted me yeah. a couple days ago. He's like, are we going to do the Virginia or what? Because there's a lot of them. I did know that. I didn't know there's 103 species of, yes. okay. I think we should lay it out too. Cause we're both going to probably end up saying possum a lot. So opossum versus possum, but opossum, I think it's, I think it's actually a possum just saying a possum. Okay. Yeah. A possum. There's 103 species and we're going to go where they are. Like, you know, the, we have the one in North America there are some that creep up into Mexico, but the most of the 102 all are in Central or South America. Then you have the possum. With no with O. No, no O mm-hmm. in Australasia, right? So mm-hmm. Australia, uh, Papua New Guinea, New Zealand as an invasive species. I knew that was a big thing. Like poss- I was like, what are possums here for? And they're trying to eradicate them because they were you know, killing all the flightless birds and eggs and stuff. But there's 70 species of possum around there. So (laughs) this is a big group of animals. (laughs) Yeah. And so, of course, if you go to our show notes, which you should, the way to spell opossum is with an O. And Mm -hmm. that's accepted in scientific writing. And that unless it's you're unless you're using like a phrase play possum, which Chris will be explaining Mm -hmm. later on the podcast. Mm-hmm, then it's mm-hmm. okay to not spell with an O, just to spell it the way that they do in Australia, P-O-S-S-U-M. But in mm-hmm. general, North America, it is spelled with an O. However, both pronunciations are accepted. It yeah. technically is a possum with the pronunciation, but just the way our language has changed and evolved over the years, uh, hopefully we won't offend too many people if we do say yeah. possum, we probably will. <laughs> so, sorry, but <laughs> it's our pre-apology. Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, and it's going to be. We're mainly focused on the Virginia opossum or opossum. So that's the one that in North America, you know, in the United States, Canada, Mexico. Yeah, it's our only. It's our only marsupial, so we have yeah. to celebrate it. Yeah, it's amazing. I just a uh, special announcement too. I do have a great interview with Susie Gilbert. She's an author. And also a wildlife rehabilitator. She's been doing it for decades, mainly, you know, raptors and stuff. So look for that interview. And we're going to talk about her book, Unflappable, which is, uh, you know, it's a fiction story, but written about wildlife rehabilitators. And it's pretty funny because I can relate to some of the characters, especially some of the people I met doing wildlife rehab. So we we had a good uh, talk the other week. And so look for that interview. And then just some shout outs, you know, thanks to Alyssa on Patreon this week. So what we're doing now on Patreon is we're actually doing an after show. So we talk for about 30 minutes after the species, kind of talk about, you know, what some of the things we we couldn't quite cover in in the main podcast or just some of our feelings about their conservation and then just some insights into what's going on with our podcast and some of the interviews we've conducted. Uh, I think last week went after was it red, not red pandas, but ostrich, we dorked out more about the people we've interviewed for like 20 minutes. <laughs> there we go. Oh, wait, we had these ostrich facts that we didn't get to talk about. So I know you're cutting me off at the end. I'm like, oh, but I also have this study and that study. And you're like, okay, <laughs> it's like, no, it's, it it's a whole other show. <laughs> so if you want to support us for the free education, 
we are giving back to conservation, which I'm going to put the poll up this week. We actually have a couple of polls that I need to put up this week with our with our folks there. So to look for that on Patreon. And like I always mention, if you can't afford Patreon, I totally understand, but you could give us a five-star review on iTunes. It totally helps us out. We're up 210 ratings. I would love to see that number climb. And if you actually take the time to write a review, a glowing one, of course, uh, we will be most grateful. Last week, I think I mentioned it, but it's worth saying again, uh, TAS1342 is our last written review. It's T. Haas. Haas uh-huh. is the name. I emailed him. He emailed us and sent us like a beautiful picture of his Robins. And I'm like, sorry, Angie butchered your iTunes name. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, Chris, for so. Yes, (laughs) Tejas is still the best review ever. In fact, I took a screenshot to it and sent it to like all my close friends because it basically says the best podcast in the world, which I love that he wrote that. I don't know how true it is for everyone else, but my goodness gracious, it really tickled me pink and it still has. So that, that, and what that does is that helps Chris and I have the energy and the momentum to keep doing what we do and keep bringing you all this amazing free content. So thank you, T Haas. I appreciate it. And to everyone else as well. Uh, so hopefully we'll have yeah. some more reviews next week. Yeah. Thanks. And it's actually, we have some really great opportunities. I had a, a couple other people that want to collaborate with us. So we'll talk about it in the after show, but I sent Angie those emails and, and we're really excited about some of the people that we're going to be working with and uh, bringing some interviews and collaborations with. So let's describe this opossum. So Chris, I think to describe them, I want to start with a quote from Captain John Smith in 1608 (laughs) when he came across them. An opossum... Okay, here, are you ready for it? Quote, unquote. These are not my words, and I I think I already disagree with Captain John Smith, but his words are, quote, unquote, an opossum hath an head like a swine, a tail like a rat, and is one of the biggins of a cat. Under her belly she hath a bag, wherein she lodgeth, carrieth, and suckleth her young. Yep. End quote. And clearly I need to go back and practice my Shakespeare and Chaucer to understand oh my the, gosh, uh, 1600, the yeah. old English. Six- <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But I, so that's the original description, but I, I think there's a more modern one in place for our beloved Virginia possum. And so my description, Chris, is a little bit different. Number one, I don't have the old English language. And I think they're a lot cuter than described by Captain John Smith. In general, they have a long, narrow nose, cone-shaped, if you will. But at the tip, it's pink. A cute little pink nose with whiskers, which I'm sure you really appreciated when you were rehabbing them back in the day. And their face is mostly white or cream in color. Mm. uh, And a lot of them, depending on what part of North America they live in, almost have a gray to brownish mohawk stripe down stripe, their forehead, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you will. And then their body is going to be long, medium long hair that's gray in color. It can be some variations can be brown, brownish red. And as you mentioned, then they have that long tail that uh, is mostly hairless. And they have beady black eyes mm-hmm. and uh, cute, rounded, almost mouse-like ears. They're, also, they're Mickey Mouse. Those they're so, are, I, just, like, I, I have to say the ears. 
the little ones when they're babies, those the ears are bigger than their head almost. They grow into them. Oh, when they're baby babies, they just oh my goodness, Andy. They're the, that's why they're the cutest things because they just have these huge ears and these little faces. And they are they're that, perfectly shaped Mickey Mouse ears. Yeah, 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 yeah. So cute. And so, Chris, I think in general they're a very cute creature. Of course, when they're little, like you mentioned, but I even think they're really good looking animals as adults. Now <laughs> you always like you the s- ugly ones. You always no, do. no, no, no. They're only. I mean, they're cute. They're only really not attractive, okay, when they are making the aggressive face. Then they can kind of not be as cute really quick. But as we'll find out when we get to behavior, they don't really make that face too often. And Mm -hmm. like the possum that was an adult that I got to work with that was an education animal for the zoo was a very happy, very cute opossum his whole life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, and with the Virginia possums, they have these round bodies and kind of the robust and yeah. short legs, right? Yeah, so, stubby legs. I mean, they mm-hmm. they can grow. I mean, they're and it depends on this. You know, even the males. The males are a little bit bigger than the females, right? Males can be as long as forty inches or hundred centimeters, but they average about thirty inches, and the females are about 28 inches. So, you know, a little bit smaller, like, like John Smith said, size of a house cat. Males can be up to six and a half pounds or three kilograms. Females, four and a half pounds or two kilograms. I just remember we had a big male and I called him Banjo. And then I remember the day I released Banjo, you know, out of the dog crate. You just watch him saunter off this big old male possum. And I was like, Go forth and multiply, you know, because they're important for the environment, which we're going to get to in a minute. But yeah, they're just, you do fall in love with them when you work with them. Yeah. Well, what I also found interesting too about their size is you mentioned the house cat size for the Virginia opossum. But as we dive into more species of opossum in South and Central America within the family, Didelphidae. Did I say that right, Chris? Oh, look, look at you. Clap, 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 I actually clap. practice. I practice. Yeah. yeah. When I was <laughs> doing all the research yeah. on how to say a possum, I was like, okay, I should figure out how to say some other things. But anyways, yeah. uh, a lot of those species are smaller, like mm-hmm. a lot smaller. And mm-hmm. so a fun little fact about possums, these 100 species of possums in the New World in North America and Central and South America is that – they have one of the greatest ranges in size. So you have our big old Virginia opossum. And so in general, as a family of opossums, they can range from almost two kilograms to six, or that's about four pounds to 13 pounds or so. Wow. Yeah. And researchers have hypothesized on why they're bigger in North America. And a lot of it has to do with fat storage to survive the cold because they did – they. They do prefer subtropics, right? They basically started right. there and then moved up yeah. and now yeah. are found. Yeah. Well, where are they found, Chris? Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, North America. So these can go, I mean, huge range from Ontario, Canada, all the way down to Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. But they're not all uniform throughout the United States, which I found surprising. You know, they, they are all over the East Coast. I mean, obviously, in uh, Florida, up to the Great Lakes, up into Canada, stretch across the plains but once it gets into the rockies or really where like it's super cold montana wyoming uh, that those parts of the united states they're not found 
mm-hmm. uh, small pockets in, I think, Arizona. Then you go all the way to the west coast of California, a little bit into Baja, down in Mexico, but all the way up up to Vancouver, right? So, but you have this gap in the United States, which I found was was kind of well. Surprising. I read that, yeah, I read that they were actually introduced to the West Coast intentionally. Oh, during the oh, Great Depression, perhaps Ooh. as a source of food. <laughs> food, I've, yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, so, uh, but a lot of their progress in expansion for the most part, like over to Michigan where I'm from, yeah. uh, has been on their own, on their on yeah. their just success, which we'll talk a lot about, their ability to adapt and live in urban human human environments and adapt to cold weather. Yeah. For the most part, yeah. they don't love it, but they can do it. So yeah. yeah, I just oh so many fun facts about them. Yes. Now and this will kind of right dorked out a little bit, but why care? And I, I won't let you go and then I'm gonna follow up. But I just want to say I love opossums, opossums, not only because they do other things for the environment, but this one, they're one of the major species that keep ticks in check. Thank you. The end. I'm done. Wipe my hands. <laughs> We're done. That's why yes. they matter. They, <laughs> yes, matter. the opossum has received a lot of attention and good press, if you will, for their consumption of ticks in your backyard or in your neighborhood, because I think in general... Most people are not fans of ticks because ticks carry Lyme disease and and all that nonsense. So each opossum will groom themselves and they're very clean, cleanly animals. And and it's estimated that they remove about 5,000 ticks a year from your area that you live in, which is helpful because as Chris and I have talked about on the podcast previously, tick populations seem to be increasing in certain areas, uh, and researchers aren't sure if it's just a, a hiccup or if some of their natural predators are down or if it's global climate change. At any rate, that's not good news. And so our friend, mm-hmm. the opossum, does a great job at that. Yeah. And Amazing so, job. yeah, that's probably the number one reason uh, I think that they've gotten a lot more uh, more Positive popular press. press, which is good. It is good. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. probably maybe lesser known to some people is the fact that the Virginia opossum is an opportunistic omnivore feeder. So we'll talk about the nutrition. They eat a lot of stuff, but one of it is carrion. So they're part of nature's cleanup crew Mm -hmm, that will get mm -hmm. rid of some of these dead animals that also carry diseases, right? Mm -hmm. So that's helpful. So we got ticks, we got carrion, diseased animals. And so, Chris, something that our listeners might not be as familiar with, which was super news to me, is that opossums are really important seed dispersers, which does make sense because they'll eat anything, fruits, nuts, seeds, anything they can get their little paws on since they're opportunistic. Uh, And as we've talked about with birds and other herbivores, seed dispersal is really an important part of the ecosystem. And this study I found, it was in 2007, it was out of Brazil, but they were investigating uh, seed germination. I of... read the same thing. You did? <laughs> I oh, read yeah. the exact same study. Yeah. I was looking, I was, I was going down this rabbit hole and then all of a sudden I thought about ticks and I was like, no, I'm going to go after ticks. But you, you read that study. Amazing. Okay. Okay. So what'd you learn? Yeah. It was well, awesome. I mean, yeah, basically that they found that 
the species of opossum they were studying, which one was it? Did it was I was it was in the genus uh, Deldiphus. So this yeah, is neo, like a neotropic possum in white-eared possum, I think it was. Oh, possum, okay. yeah, the white, mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. down in Brazil, right? Or yeah, like and so they found that first, which was super fascinating, is a certain type of seed, Rubius rosifolius. I don't even know what that is. Actually needed to be digested in their gut before it would germinate. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Which is yeah. Crazy. That's why I wanted to dork out on this. Yeah. They, yeah. Yeah. There's seeds. It was. Oh, I'll find it. Whenever we do a bird, the do when the dodo bird went extinct, this ancient tree went extinct with it because they figured they they figured out that the it had to go through the dodo bird's digestive tract. Sure. And sure. so this tree went extinct. Yeah. So, and so same thing yeah. here, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. And other really cool things is that they found that many seeds that were ingested were what they call pioneer plants. And basically what a pioneer plant is, it's a hardy species. There's several different examples and I'm not going to be familiar with ones in Brazil, but they're hardy plants that are the first to typically recolonize barren environments. If uh, like in, in a time where an ecosystem is disrupted by a fire or other natural elements, these pioneer plants come in first and start the regrowth mm. process. So we need them. They're very important, especially in Amazonia where mm -hmm. unfortunately there are some devastating wildfires, I think, fires, still raging. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. And they also do a lot of prescribed burns to basically get land for different crops and cattle and all that different pod for a different day. But at any rate, these possums are helping spread and or germinate special plants, including certain yeah. pioneer plants. So really, really important. That's stuff. awesome. Yeah. 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 I mean, these animals are, are, are critical. It's all the food webs, the up and down, like all around. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. But if Chris and I haven't convinced you yet for their superpowers of helping get rid of ticks, getting rid of roadkill, and also seed dispersion and germination now. But how about this fun fact? The Virginia opossum, as well as several other species throughout Central and South America, are immune to most snake venom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is crazy. Right. And it makes sense. They're opportunistic omnivores. So if it's venomous, it still can be dinner. Crazy, crazy stuff. Yeah. And yeah. it kind of reminded me of our honey badger episode. Honey badger don't I care. Know. <laughs> still I know. I kind of think that's like favorite. the North American opossum. Or sorry. I kind of think that's like the Virginia opossum. Like, they don't care. Like, it just doesn't. whatever. Mm -hmm. It doesn't yeah. care. It doesn't care. Yeah. And, it really but, does it. It's yeah, it does it. Yeah. Yeah. And so researchers have known about this, uh, their ability to consume venomous snakes and obviously survive. They've been able to isolate one of the peptides involved with helping protect the opossum's blood, basically. Um, and they've been able to recreate it. And a long story short, Chris, is that there's a lot of experiments out there that have been able to recreate this peptide and put it into mice and it helps reverse the course of several different snake bites. Mm. And researchers are really hopeful that it could be another 
source of anti-venom for yeah. that might be more well-rounded because I, I didn't realize this, but most anti-venoms are specific to like just that snake. Like it right, has to right, be right, yeah. created yeah. not for just each yeah. snake. But several researchers are optimistic that the opossum's ability, this, pept- this peptide can potentially ward off or act as an anti-venom for several species of snakes. Wow. Not wow. just in North wow. America. Yeah, um, it's kind of like a universal, and, yeah. universal donor but or something like that. That's yeah. the ultimate goal. I, I don't think it's quite there yet. But yeah, I mean, this is huge because it, depending on where you live, whether you're in India or South Africa or North America, like it can sometimes be hard to get the different antivenoms for all the different species of snake that are out there. So very, very cool stuff. I'm no, telling you, is, these opossums, yeah, we got to love them. We got to love that yeah, cute little pink nose. They do, and uh, I don't know. Okay, so that's pretty cool. I, I you know, I'll, I, I don't know if I can top it with the ticks. I just, I don't think people just don't like ticks. They will kill ninety five percent of the ticks that try to feed on them. They're very good at grooming. They're so, very clean. Yeah, they, yes, they're, very they sometimes clean. have this bad reputation of being like greasy yeah. or dirty, but that's not yeah. true. Now, this is one of the reasons Angie and I shy away from invertebrates, you know, insects, because it's really not our forte. But I, I kind of wanted to dork out a little bit on ticks and just kind of explain ticks because everybody's like, oh, um, so ticks are actually arachnids. So if you didn't know that, and obviously they're considered external parasites because they live by feeding on blood, mammals, birds, sometimes reptiles, amphibians. I've seen ticks on elephant seals. On the beaches, I've seen ticks on snakes. So ticks are just important for the environment, okay? Everything is, but I just don't like them. (laughs) (laughs) Chris, no, no. Tell me how you really feel. (laughs) I hate them. I've had them on me, but I was in the army. I remember I had a bunch of ticks on me, and I just about like, I was like, oh my God. Chris, I honestly, I get them on me like monthly. Oh, about in the horses. Well, yeah. Angie, I'm a statistic too. You know this. I it was about five years ago in my backyard in Florida. I got bit by a tick. You know, picked it off. But then three days later, all of a sudden, I have a horrific rash. I go to my doctor. Told him I had a tick bite. And this is what you should do if you do get bit and you have a rash. And I was put on antibiotics for seven days. It cleared up. The rash cleared up. But then my doctor called me and he's like, "Hey, Chris." So I was like, "Hey, what's up?" He's like. So, you had Rocky Spotted Mountain Fever. I had to report you to the CDC because you were one of two cases in Florida this year of Rocky Spotted Mountain Fever from ticks. <laughs> you are <laughs> special, Chris. I always knew that about you. <laughs> so, I hate ticks. I'm sorry. I just don't. Uh, uh, yeah. But, yeah, you do want yeah. to – I always make sure and properly take them off. And, mm-hmm. of course, the kids play a lot at the farm. And mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty – a lot of a lot of woods out there, so we always do t- tick checks in the, in the evening yeah. before they go to bed and and yeah. things like that. Yeah, they're out there. I mean, they carry many diseases. They have four stages to their life cycle. It's so it, it in general, egg, larva, nymph, and adult. And so, it just very quickly, for many of these ticks, it takes anywhere from one to six years to get through all four stages. Mm, so the the female lays the eggs. Okay. So then the eggs hatch into larva, which then it depends on the tick, but the, the normal ticks we see in the United States have to feed blood meal. 
that they'll go and feed, which could be a human, could be all these other animals we talked about, get their blood meal, fall off, right? Then about four to six weeks in the grass, whatever, they'll go to the next stage. So if it's going from larva to nymph, then the nymph will go and get a blood meal. So either a human or other the other animals we talked about falls off, then goes to molts to the adult phase where then they'll go and either breed if they're a male with a female, but then the female will go and get huge and then go lay eggs and it starts all over again. So ticks carry a lot of pathogens, bacteria, viruses, protozoa. It's just, I mean, you're talking typhus, botulism fever or boutonese fever, African tick bite fever, rocky spotted mountain fever, Flinders Island spotted fever, Queensland tick typhus. So for our Aussie friends down there, Q fever, Colorado tick fever. I mean, there's a ton. Uh, the, the big one here in the United States is, is Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. So that is why, you know, it's important to have checks and balances in the environment. You know, it, it's not just for our like, you know, diseases and for us, but for other animals too. And we, there's nature's imbalance, right? So when you take these animals out of the environment, you get more ticks. I remember going back to Ian's interview with the mountain spotted, oh, the frog, the, the yellow-legged frog in California, where it, it's anecdotal, but where these frogs no longer exist, heavy, heavy populations of mosquitoes. Sure. You know? Absolutely. And to back that up with scientific evidence, there's actually a study in the northeastern United States that Lyme disease was lower because there were more red foxes. So in areas where there was more red foxes, Lyme disease was down because there was less density of white-footed mice, which the foxes ate, which is where it was a very important reservoir host for the thing that causes Lyme disease. So it's all connected, man. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. anyways, I kind of dorked out on ticks for a little while. That's why I love opossums. They're very important to keep those ticks down. So please love your possums, you know, take yes, care of them. And stick with us too. At the end of the podcast, I'll have some amazing groups to support and learn more uh, about opossums. So, uh, and see lots of cute photos, which is always important. Yes. Yes. Okay. So let me go through evolution really quick. We've done marsupials, obviously, before. But again, I just always find it so amazing because, you know, some of the earliest mammals, marsupials date back 90 million years. They were roaming around with the dinosaurs, like, which is crazy to think about. So something like an opossum was walking around with T-Rex and surviving, mm-hmm. you know, and evolving. Now, we think marsupials evolved in North America then expanded into South America and the Pacific Rim of Asia. Then they went extinct in North America. But, I don't know if you remember this, but then marsupials migrated to Australia and New Zealand during the Cretaceous period. But do you remember how? How the heck they got all the way over to Australia? Was it on a raft? No. Oh. No. No, oh, they went was... down into Antarctica. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yay, mom brain for the gets. win. Mom brain for the win. Uh, all that was only random like, facts better come in useful I know. someday. 
And that was like a hundred pods ago we did that. But yeah, that's awesome. the coolest thing. They went through Antarctica because Australia and New Zealand were still part of the continent. Now, marsupials eventually went extinct in New Zealand, but they've been reintroduced by humans. So that's why they're trying to, to eradicate them now. Now, opossums really... New world. So, New world. Yes. 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 So here, here's here's the thing. Okay, I love this quote because this was in a, a thing of looking at opossums in North America. The extinction of the dinosaurs was a pivotal moment in the evolution of mammals, said Jonathan Bloch, study co-author and associate curator of vertebrate paleontology at UF's Florida Museum of Natural History. <laughs> Go just, Gators! That's right. I love that. Yeah. That's one of my favorite museums of all time. And just, you know, they... They were tracing the beginnings of, of mammals across North America. And so that's when they kind of figured out that marsupials were in North America at least 65 million years ago, if not 90 million years ago. The Virginia opossum didn't come around till less than 3 million years ago when North America and South America joined back up. And that happened in the, the Panama Isthmus because it was underwater until the seas changed and then the, that land bridge was connected. Then the possums started to, the opossums started to migrate North. That is when the American or the American possum or the Virginia possum evolved. So about three yes. million years ago. Awesome. But not to be confused with the common possum. No. So, <laughs> All right. So there are, yeah. Okay. Here we go. So the taxonomy. Now, Angie, within marsupials, it gets very confusing. I think you saw that too, especially with the opossums. Very, you know, different suborders, different families, subfamilies, tribes. I probably spent more time on figuring out or trying to figure out. I probably didn't even, we're not going to even graze the surface on Mm. how many species are in this family uh, and and where they live and yeah and and there's like suborders and subfamilies and tribes and it's crazy my lack of taxonomical i guess expertise was really mm-hmm. was really struggling this week yeah it was i was challenged it, it it was confusing to say the least so to sum it up for the american or virginian opossum i mean the the genus is didelphus and their species name is Didelphus virginiana. I will say within the genus of Didelphus, there are six species. So the white-eared possum, and these are all in South America, Argentina, Bolivia, Brazil, the big-eared possum, the Guinean white-eared possum, the Andean white-eared possum, then the common opossum that you talked about. Now that one is in North America. That one does range to Northeast Mexico, but it's, you know, mostly most of it's down South America and Central America. So technically we might have two species, but the common and the Virginia possum in North and, America. But there's, se- there's several different. Oh gosh. Yeah. You can't even. <laughs> 103 <laughs> species. It's like. Well, there, well, the species, but then there's also several different uh, genus genre, mm-hmm. I would say. Genus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It got convoluted. It was. It was. It was complicated. It was complicated to say the least. 
But I had no idea. This is why I love the podcast, Chris, because yeah. the re- I'm sorry for anybody who's like, come on, guys, let's let's move on and learn about their tails and their thumbs yeah, yeah, and yeah. all this other cool stuff uh, and playing possum. We'll get there, I promise. But, but I think it's really important for just a brief second to focus on the biodiversity of this family of opossums yeah. in North America. and. Probably some of our listeners in Central and South America are like, yeah, we knew that. But a lot of our listeners in North America are probably not familiar with the fact that there's basically like 99 species in Central and South America. Yeah. Virginia possum ain't one, okay? No, no. It's insane. (laughs) It's It's insane insane that they're – yeah, I – I did not know, realize how big this family was. I didn't like either. Could- so, Chris, my my joke, a uh, spoiler alert, yeah. is that we could literally do a podcast on just the family of yes. uh, Didelphidae yeah. for a whole yep. year. Oh, for easy, a whole easy. No. Year, okay, right? so this is going to be episode more than a year. One, this is episode one sixty nine. <laughs> we actually have released. <laughs> We've actually t- released total, I think, just today with the kids podcast, 200 episodes. But so our official animal podcast would be 169 with this one. So there's 103 species of opossum, 70 species of possum. We can just do the possum podcast. <laughs> hey, there we go. Anybody out there want to uh, basically yeah. pick that up for us? We will support you. We will help. We you, will support you. We, we will have you on the, the, the show. <laughs> We're not talking possum every week. <laughs> there you go. And then, really quick, Angie, I I think I'm pretty sure I've covered this before, but the largest marsupial ever. Could you guess how big it would be? Two hundred pounds. Oh God, no. Oh, lower. Oh, a lot higher. Oh, okay. Good. We're playing prices right rules. A uh, thousand pounds. Oh, way more. Oh my! I give up. What is going on? Size of a rhino. Size of a I rhino. Don't remember this from? I don't remember it either. So I don't know if I did cover it, but well, we need to talk about cover the... a rhino-sized marsupial. Let's do this <laughs> yes, right now. I, I will log it in my mom brain for the next quiz. This thing. Okay, it looks like a wombat. It is diprotodon. Optatatum. Uh-huh. It was the largest known species of Diprotonidae or Tonidid, the largest known marsupial ever, approximately 10 feet long, wow. or three meters, seven feet high at the shoulder, or two meters. That's huge. Like above I my could head. live in its pouch. Yeah, easy. And <laughs> six you in this pouch. Over six thousand pounds or twenty-seven or almost twenty eight hundred kilograms. It was a very large rhino. Where did it like live? Huge That's amazing. It is Australia. Austra- yeah. Of course. I love Australia. Now, what it died out 44,000 years ago. Oh, that's not that long ago. After the arrival of humans. So a, large, a lot of these major marsupials So died our out. ancestors, they, somewhere down the line, saw, saw this, this thing. thing. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, oh my this. God. It's like, it's <laughs> oh, amazing. I would die. Okay. The saddest fact about opossums, Angie, is, is this is this breaks my heart. They have a very short life. They do. Maybe up to two years in the wild. Some report four years max. Uh, they just they don't live very long. It's just old banjo 
is playing his banjo in the clouds, you know, sure. I released him. Um, yeah, no, geez, that it, was it is. 2009, uh, yeah. Yeah, and that's what is interesting. Like a lot of species, when they are under human care, will live a lot longer than they would in the wild just because there's not all these pressures. Uh, but yeah, the opossum, unfortunately, even under human care, it's still three to four years typically. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, there was a report of one living about eight to 10 years, but that's yeah. very rare and and not common. So it's really interesting as far as why they age or they have sustenance, uh, the act of aging, why it's so rapid mm-hmm, uh, in mm-hmm. our northern North American marsupials. So researchers speculate that maybe it's because they don't have a lot of natural defenses against predators. So evolution just didn't favor them having this longer lifestyle uh, because they don't really have any way to protect themselves anyways. So right, right. Uh, the selective pressure to basically, yeah, to just live longer isn't there on a biochemical standpoint. So I don't know. It's interesting and, like you said, sad. Um, but I know that's why I- you know I want to give a big shout out to all the all the rehabbers out there that, like yourself, you used to do, and the, and the interview that'll be released in a couple of days about the hard work people do as far as getting those baby opossums back in the wild when they're safe and healthy so they can go live their short, happy, healthy, wild opossum life where they belong. Mm -hmm. And kill ticks, eat ticks. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Now, one of the interesting things too is, is this species is immune to rabies. So was one of the reasons I was able to work with them because they, they weren't a vector for rabies. Also squirrels, or rehab squirrels. Yeah, I think technically immune is not the the How about they don't spread rabies? Yeah, okay. Yeah, they, they don't get they don't get rabies, or it's very, very rare uh to for them to get rabies, which I found fascinating, right? Um, mm-hmm. especially because they look like they sometimes have an angry face on. And mm-hmm. so you might wonder, oh, is that like a rabid opossum? But no, uh it's it's darn near impossible. But researchers speculate that it's because opossums have a very low body temperature of about 94 to 97 degrees Fahrenheit, which I can't do the, the Celsius conversion. Sorry to all my every, – everybody else in the world, I apologize <laughs> that I'm an American and that we don't yeah. use uh, the standard Celsius. system. But anyways, uh, where other mammals, Chris, like ourselves hmm. – uh, their their temperature ranges from 97 to 103. Where with humans, we're supposed to be, what, 98.6? Do you remember our horse's average body temperature? They're uh, higher. 99 to, yeah, 99 to 100 was average, like normal. They can get up to 101. Yeah, Chris, it can even push 101 and you wouldn't be concerned with a horse. So yeah, researchers think that basically in an opossum, rabies does not survive because their body is cooler and the virus can't mm-hmm. thrive there. Pretty radical That's stuff. Interesting. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Here's some other facts. Some we haven't done in other species. I just, I don't know why, but we'll call it, male possums are called jacks. Love it. Females are called jills. Mm-hmm. What, what are the young referred to as? Joeys. Joeys. Of yeah, course. just like that. And then a group is called a, did you get it? Mm. Did you see that? Passel. Uh, <laughs> a passel of possums. Oh, I love possums. it. It's a little like, alliteration there. More or yeah, less. yeah. So if you see a mom with her babies, it would be that. Now I know you're waiting to dork out on some of their physiology. I mean, they have opposable thumbs. 
Yes, they have. Just like primates, yeah. Yeah, it's called basically a posable hallux, but it's mm-hmm. on their hind mm-hmm. paws. But it's basically like a thumb that assists them with climbing. They're very agile climbers. The Virginia opossum is considered a terrestrial mammal on the ground, if you will, but they do spend a lot of time in trees and they're great climbers because of this and their hind feet, this thumb like digit, if you Mm -hmm. will. And they're also good climbers because of their tail. The tail that probably Mm -hmm. makes them maybe less attractive to certain people because there's not a lot of hair on it. Uh, It can help them balance very well. In the Virginia opossum, I read that their tails are about 93% as long as their head to body length. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's a long tail. But the tail is prehensile, which is Mm -hmm. crazy. And that means they can hang from it. And you can frequently find uh, juvenile opossums hanging from their tail. Uh, They don't sleep that way um, because... They're, yeah. They are heavy, right? We talked about them being small cat size. So it's more just a position they would get into to help them reach other food or for them to climb down onto a branch or something. But it does help them. It helps them balance and, of course, mm-hmm, hang. Mm-hmm. So the tail, although it might not be their most attractive feature, is very, very important. Yeah, I remember feeding them, especially the younger one, not the baby babies because you wrap them up, but when they're a little bit older and you have to clean their cage and stuff and they you, they crawl on you. And I remember their claws were pretty sharp. I remember right. But I remember they would wrap their tail around your wrist or your fingers and stuff. Cute. And, and just, yeah, they were always they were always great because they, they get used to, you know, they, they get used to you. Still, though, it was interesting. Never bonded to people like i think that towards when they got bigger they would do that you know the hiss like stay away sometimes especially they got older which is good well yeah chris you're probably onto something because they're not a social creature at all they're they're Mm -hmm. basically solitary nocturnal Mm -hmm. and yeah once they get into adulthood they don't really need Mm -hmm. or want anybody around unless it's that season so and i think that they're not an aggressive animal by any no, way, all. shape, not or form. but yeah. And they really don't have many defense mechanisms except for playing possum, nope. which I know you're dying to yep, talk about. Yep. I know we'll get there. Yep. But yeah, it's next. one of the things they do is they will show their teeth and like, hiss and look mm-hmm. kind of mean and upset. And so mm-hmm. I think that that maybe is why they get a bad rap too sometimes for that face because it, it's not an attractive face. But what I found fascinating about their teeth is it's pretty effective when they do snarl or hiss at you or show their teeth because they have 50 teeth in their mouth. I know. Where does that, it's like, what? 50 they're, teeth. They're dagger-like. Yeah. yeah they that, look dagger in the front. That's more teeth than any other ma- land mammal in North America. That's crazy. So they that's win so that crazy. award. They have a lot of awards. Most mammals in North America have six upper incisors. The Virginia opossum has 10. Mm-hmm. So yep. they're not going to like use them on you or anything. I mean, they're not no, there, but no. but they never they, bit. they can they look, never bit. They can make an ugly snarl, if you will. So I, I thought yeah, they never not one bit us, not one. Oh no! So, I mean, that yeah, they're not no. aggressive, but they're all, like you said, they're also mm-hmm. not super quote unquote friendly, which that's fine. They don't need to be. That's yeah, fine. yeah, yeah, yeah. They just and I mean, you know, I, I know at the zoo the handleable animals are trained. Correct. These are non-aggressive animals. They're used to being handled, so they're not going to display those behaviors. Whereas as a rehabber, 
yeah, you played with them a little bit as babies, but you didn't cuddle them every day. You weren't playing with them every day. You didn't have them out. It was just when you were feeding or cleaning, you could mess with them a little bit, but you didn't want to mess with them too much because you wanted them to shy away from people. And stay wild. Like yeah, plus you, for sure. Plus you had too many to feed and then you had to feed squirrels. And then if you had bunnies, we had bunny, you know, bunnies to take care of. So just, Welcome to the life of the zookeeper, right? Yeah. Or the, the rehabber. Know, yeah. There's always something to do. All right. So talking about playing possum. Okay. First of all, these are a, you know, they're, we're going to talk about they're omnivores, but they're in the middle of the road. I mean, they're preyed upon by owls, coyotes, bobcats, cougars, raccoons, raccoons. Come on, raccoons red foxes. So they will go after, you know, possums or possums. Now, like Angie said, they don't have a lot of defense mechanisms. So what they do have is what is called, like I said, play possum, not without the O. It's not a possum, it's play possum. And that was coined years and years ago. But what happens is, is when they're threatened, they'll either run, growl, belch <laughs> or pee or poop and to get away or to say i am a disgust chris you just basically called me out those are exactly the things i do when i'm threatened and cry i guess i would add cry on there <laughs> you pee and poop your pants okay you win i, I would not mess <laughs> okay so now when all that fails angie the one thing they do is they play possum and act as if they're dead it's totally involuntary. They don't control it. So it's almost like mm -hmm. you know, fainting. And what happens is their bodies become stiff. They, their body, you know, they'll either close their eyes or stare off into space. Saliva foams around their mouth. And they actually secrete some really smelly glandular substances. And it just looks like they're dead and just like gross. And so it's like just a deterrent for a predator to go, okay, no, you're, you're disgusting. I'm going to go look for a bunny or something more yummy than that. And it can last up to four hours and then they'll, they'll get up and, and go off. It's crazy. <laughs> so, yeah. It's, yeah. It's a real thing. Yeah. It's a real thing. Yeah, Chris. When I was reading about this, I was just, the smells that they, I mean, they, they're like all in, like they are all mm -hmm. in when they, when, when they, when they're playing possum, which is just crazy. Uh, but yeah, Chris, I read too that the stinky smell is actually a green fluid from their anus that stinks. So there you go. Mm -hmm. uh, but also on a physiological basis, their heart rate drops by half. Their breathing's lowered and slowed by about 30%. Their brain activity is not altered. So they are fully conscious. But as you mentioned, they're still in this catatonic state and they can't really necessarily can control it. It's not, it's not voluntary. It's involuntary. Mm -hmm. And while this is a mechanism that is used, it's pretty rarely seen. And it's uh, and for those possums that are playing possum, it's more likely to be younger possums or juveniles that probably haven't yeah. like, figured out another way to escape or whatever it is. But yeah, escape, I mean, yeah. what a yeah. crazy adaptation. <laughs> yeah. Adaptation. Yeah, adaptation. I was going to say that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Now, as Angie kind of opened up with why care, I mean, these things eat almost anything, carrion, small mammals, birds, uh, nest, nesting birds, reptiles, you know, earthworms, insects, fruits, carrion. Garbage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They eat mm -hmm. snakes. 
Yeah, they they eat a lot of a lot of stuff. Uh, they they need calcium. So I know doing rehab, we we had to mix their diet with with calcium, and and then they will eat gravel and stuff like to to get some mm. or, or dirt to get some of those nutrients. So they will eat skeletons if they can on that, and they can't go months without water. But generally, they like to live near water because they do like to drink. But due to diet, they really don't have a a need for uh, going to water. Kind of like what we talked about last week with uh, the ostrich, which yeah. is interesting. Well, they could like live anywhere, and that's because yeah. they're so opportunistic and they're omnivores. Yeah. They fit in with me, yeah. right? Uh, in urban areas, yeah. so really. Yeah. Really, really cool stuff. They do really well mm-hmm. around you- people. I, I read they do really well around people because they don't have the predator sure. pressure. Sure. So, you know, yeah, they might get ran over by cars and things like that. But uh, generally, they, they can survive a lot better because there's yeah. less predators. And there probably so are some well. in your neighborhood. But you most likely don't see them because they are typically nocturnal. And so they are going to do all of their food opportunistic hunting or scavenging or whatever it is in the evenings. And they spend a lot of times in trees. They're excellent climbers, as we mentioned previously. And they'll often extract their den or sleeping area in a building or a hollow tree, sometimes even abandoned burrows. So they're not super picky, but they definitely can get up and down trees as needed. And it makes sense with their evolution coming from the subtropics, but they don't hibernate. So they will slow down during mm-hmm, the winter mm-hmm. when they'll live in their little burrows or dens that are filled with leaves or maybe shredded paper or garbage or whatever they can find uh, to help keep them warm. And then the Virginia opossum is a big possum in the possum world. And so they can live off their fat reserves pretty well in uh, in North America. Yeah. And in cold, cold weather climates like Canada and things like that, it uh, the Virginia opossum mortality rate does increase because it's cold and it's a hard life, right? Uh, so they're really a clean species, which people probably don't think of that when they think of an opossum. That does change a little bit for male and females that are in breeding season, which I'll touch on that in a second. Uh, their scent glands can be a little bit greasy and stinky. But overall, they are, you know, they're very clean animals. And as far as their communication goes with one another, it's going to be based on smell. That's one of the main ways that they do it. And so the male has this scent gland uh, sternally located on his, I think like in his chest area where he'll emit a musky opossum cologne uh, that actually stains his fur uh, just before mating season to attract all the ladies. I know I like that. A guy that smells good that has like a big yeah, coffee yeah, stain sure. down his shirt. I'm like, ooh. Yeah, nice. Hey, baby. <laughs> uh, and then a female has her own special scent that she uses to basically help her babies or her neonates climb into her pouch. And so, yeah, they definitely mm-hmm. can communicate to one another through their smells. But they will also use auditory signals to interact with one another. And so some of the vocalizations are clicks, uh, lip-smacking bird sounds, growling, as you mentioned. You're familiar with them, Chris. Hissing, screeching. And and during the breeding season, uh, they can make this uh, 
kind of like a clicking sound. So there is auditory communication going on as well as the pheromones and the smells. So mm-hmm, they know how mm-hmm, they know how mm-hmm. to talk to each other. <laughs> so what happens when they do sure. you know see that coffee stain <laughs> on the front of his chest and goes, "Ooh, yeah. that's sexy. Come here." You know. So reproduction, I mean, especially since they have such mm-hmm. short lives. Yeah. You know, so it's very critical for yeah, them well, to the, reproduce uh, and reproduce quickly. So the Virginia opossum has a polygonous mating sy- system, and males will vie for reproductive females. And the breeding season of the Virginia, the Virginia opossum is going to start as early as December and continue through October. But most of the joeys are born between February and June. And a female can have uh, one to three litters per season, depending on how lucky she is, I suppose. Reproducing twice a year for a female is about average. And as you mentioned, basically one of the main courtship behaviors or chemical attractants is going to be that that musky odor on the male's chest, that gland. And that helps females, I guess, be attracted to him and uh, and then go from there. But what's interesting, Chris, is their reproductive anatomy. That's what I think we need to shine mm-hmm. a little fun light on. Briefly. <laughs> so marsupials yeah, are always so, crazy. Always uh, crazy. Depending on the audience, you might want to fast forward this. But no, I mean, it's just general interesting anatomy yes. uh, as, a, uh, as a researcher. Yeah. Yep. But in the Virginia opossum and in opossums in general, the male and female have bifurcated anatomy is the fancy way to say it, or bifurcation. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is within the female's reproductive system, the opossum has two lateral vagina and then uterus and ovaries as normal. And the male, in order to accommodate her unique anatomy, actually has a bifurcated mm-hmm. or a forked penis. But Chris, as the repro guy, you'll find this even more fascinating. I'm not sure if you came across this in your research, but the male opossum sperm they pair up together prior to insemination. They find a little sperm friend to hang out with. Okay. No, I remember that. I don't ever remember running no, across anything like crazy. that. No, it's crazy. And scientists don't know why. Yeah. So somebody needs to study this and figure it out because it's super fascinating. Uh, they think what happens is they, they, get a, they, they get a swimming buddy and they think that it maybe mm-hmm. helps the efficiency of the sperm move through the reproductive tract. Whatever, whether they're on the left side or the right okay. side, whatever, whichever passage they go down. Right, it doesn't matter. And so, because obviously when an oocyte is fertilized, which there's multiple because opossum give birth to multiple mm-hmm. joeys, only one sperm is still fertilizing one egg as normal, like what we think is normal reproduction. So it's just quite, quite fascinating. Uh, they, yeah, they, they, they pair up, the sperm mm-hmm, pair up mm-hmm. in the testes and then hang out and the female reproductive tract together and then separate as they come close to the egg. So, That's crazy. So unique, crazy. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. And a female has a long estrus cycle, I think, for considering her age mm. and just in general, it's about 29 days. Uh, and so mm-hmm. she'll usually breed a male usually in the beginning of it, but still I think that's kind of a long cycle to be – in heat or accepting of a male. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
when she does become pregnant, her gestation period is, guess how short it is. Did you come across this? Uh, it's definitely not 90 days. It's like 12 it to 13 is, days. Chris, <laughs> it's, it's insanely short. It's 12 to 13 short. days. And insanely this is where short, the opossum yeah. wins another outstanding record. First, it was the amount of teeth in their mouth for a land mammal. And now they have mm-hmm. the shortest gestation period of an American mammal. The Virginia opossum does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of course, short. I know you all listening, and I know you, Chris, are wondering, well, who does have the shortest gestation period of a mammal ever? Were you wondering that? Because <laughs> oh, I was. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, marsupials because the, it, they're so underdeveloped. Correct. It's definitely in the marsupial so, family. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. So I, it's, I don't know, the qual. Well, you're on the right continent, I believe. So it's the striped-faced dunnert, which is a small Australian like marsupial mouse, super darling, in the family of Dicerdae. And they they don't win by much for the sort of shortest gestation period, but okay. uh, eleven days. Eleven days, yeah, eleven days. Okay, okay, so, okay, okay. But pretty crazy stuff, super fun, and so yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And but with that being said, so when a female opossum does give birth to these little joeys, they are helpless and about the size of jelly beans or honeybees. Mm-hmm. Is the way mm-hmm. I've heard it described, and. She'll give birth to anywhere from like 10 to 24, 20 on average. Um, But basically, she only has 13 mammary glands or 13 teats, basically, Mm -hmm, some mm -hmm. of which are non-functional. So on average, these little tiny jelly bean-sized joeys that only weigh 0.13 to 0.20 grams and are 14 millimeters long, uh, usually only about eight of them make it per litter. Because yeah, yeah. if you can imagine, that teeny tiny thing has to move from the opossum's birth canal, the vagina, mm-hmm. up that long walk, which isn't really that big a space, but it is if you're that yeah. tiny. And even though they're really underdeveloped, they still have the ability to kind of crawl for the most part. They are they do have muscular front legs, even though Everything else is pretty underdeveloped. I mean, they don't have eyes mm-hmm. or ears. So it's crazy. I, it's just a, I need to find a video of like watching, watching that. Yeah. Um, yeah over, over time. Yeah. yeah. And so once they attach the mom's mammary glands, they will stay there um, for about 50 to 70 days or up to two months uh, inside the pouch where they're protected, right? And you know, where mom can move mm-hmm. about and do her thing. Um, the jack. The dad is long out of the picture. Um, he never really, yep, he yep. never really was in nope. the picture. <laughs> no, nope, just yeah, no, nope. he just comes by, does his thing with his coffee stain, and walks That's off. Exactly, yep. exactly. Yep. And so, um, but then, so up, so the the joeys will pop in and out of the pouch to look around uh, within the first two and a half months. But then, as they grow older. They will start to ride on their mom's back wherever I know. she I'm looking goes. at a picture of it. Yes. I'm going to post it in our show notes. It's, I'm looking at it. It's like the cutest picture ever. It's so darling. I got six of them on this one. What a good yeah, mom. Six, I seven. mean, I, seven, I carry yeah. my boys still sometimes. One is like 60 pounds and one is like almost 40. <laughs> you can't pick up uh, I know. That's anymore. why I got a He's bum like, wrist right now because they're like, you need to stop yeah. picking up your boys. So 
Uh, but I couldn't imagine having eight of them on my back. Forget about it. No, Climbing up no. trees, up and down trees, and you know, doing mm-hmm. doing your opossum mom thing. But the Joey stayed with her until they're about four to a f- hundred days, um, or about four to five months. And another sad fact about opossum is they have a very high mortality rate in general, minus just the getting from mm-hmm. the birth canal into the pouch. Mm-hmm. In general, I read statistics where only 60% of the young will that survive, that are born and grow, yeah. will actually make it to be independent. And then one one statistic said one in 10, so okay. even lower, a lot lower. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that that's why they do have anywhere from one to three litters a year. And, um, yeah. and overall, they do well in urban areas and- Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So as of now, Chris, the good news with these reproductive strategies, even with their high mortality rate and their short lifespan, uh, but with their pretty quick generation er- interval, they are not endangered or threatened. Uh, in fact, they're least Mm-mm. concerned by the IUCN, which is great news. Yeah. Yeah. Their population's increasing. I think, he's, you know, they're doing well in the suburbs and stuff like that. So, you know, out of the 103 species, the Virginia opossums doing well, but there are some endangered in that 103, you know? Yeah. Were you able to find any of them or? I couldn't, I, I, no, I didn't. I, I looked, I was like, how many, I Googled a a while and then I gave up I was like, no, I'll just. Well, Chris, luckily I'm your podcast partner because I, I really want to know the answer to this. And so, Thank goodness for Wikipedia. Uh, they have just a small section on general possums, which just wasn't really yeah. fun. You know, to, some stuff in there. But they list all like 100 species. 103 species. I know. It was overwhelming. Yeah. So I clicked so you, on each one of them. Shut up. I did. You did not. I, no a little, a little type A <laughs> over my, here sometimes. Oh, my God. That's some dedication. Uh, I was like, I started to, and I was like, nope. Nope, not doing it. Nope. Uh, I know. That's why we make That's good awesome. partners. That's, you do all the evolution stuff. Awesome. I was like, I was really want to know yeah. because okay. I was so surprised and impressed that there's so many species in Central and South America in the New World. And I obviously was ignorant to all of them, except for the mm-hmm. Virginia opossum. And so uh, I really want to share some information for anybody else who wants to dork okay. out about okay. opossums and the New World. And so- That's awesome. Most of the species are doing fine, or there's really not enough data on them. So there is that. Yeah, yeah. But for species in the family Didelphidae that we do have information mm-hmm. on, the following are near threatened. The Jacoan pygmy opossum, mm-hmm. the Paraguayan fat-tailed mouse opossum, and the dwarf fat-tailed mouse opossum are all near threatened. Okay. In the vulnerable category, we have the Guarilla mouse opossum, the little woolly mouse opossum, which sounds adorable. Oh my goodness. The Riggs yeah. opossum, red three-striped opossum, and the Nin slender opossum, and lastly, the Karimi's fat-tailed mouse opossum. Okay. Hmm. In, in the category for critically endangered, there's the one-striped opossum that's found in Brazil in little pockets in Argentina. And then the Hanley's slender opossum, which is also critically endangered and found only in Colombia. And, uh, and mm-hmm. actually in only like three little sections, three sites that are all within like 50 kilometers long. So very, mm-hmm. very, very niche area that the Hanley's yeah. slender opossum 
is found in. And as recently as 1962, we've lost the red-bellied gracile opossum that was native to Argentina. Okay. Okay. Wow. So yeah, a lot of them in South America. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So I mean, definitely I mean, need to keep our eyes and ears on that, you know, on the forest and trop. Definitely need to keep our eyes on the the tropical forests of the Amazon and the Andes and things like that, uh, because a lot of these a lot of these possums live there. Yeah, yeah, and I just some good news. I mean, this is another discussion for a different day, but I did read like a bunch of major banks in Europe are pulling out of Brazil because of the deforestation, the fires, things like that. That they're not funding beef cattle operations. These these they're they're not going to pour money into it anymore. So yeah, hopefully they yeah. you know get their get their act together because uh, a lot of species down there are in trouble. And then for our Australia fans, because I know we're talking about opossums today, but they have their own category of possums that are in a different family mm-hmm. called Petridae. But the Leadbeater's possum and the Mountain Pygmy possum are in Australia are both critically endangered, and so there's yeah. a lot of work to try to re- rebound their numbers and protect some of their habitat. So we need to, even though they're not the exact family we're talking about today. But they're cool marsupials that definitely need some attention. Yeah, yeah. All right, so who's out there fighting for possums, a possum? Well, Chris, I'm really glad you asked. And since we were just talking about the critically endangered opossums in Colombia and uh, Brazil, I want to focus on a group that we've talked about before in the past called the EDGE or the EDGE of Existence which is a foundation based out yes, of the Zoological yes. Society of London. Mm-hmm. Uh, I highly recommend, we'll add in our mm-hmm. show notes, that you go to edgeofexistence.org or follow the Edge of Existence on Facebook. But what they are is they're a group of researchers and conservationists that focus their attention on species that are threatened, that are really, really unique in the evolutionary history or phylogenetic tree. And so the edge of existence focuses their research and their time on several species, but they include the one-striped opossum that's critically endangered out of Brazil and Argentina and the Hanley slender opossum out of Colombia. So really, really give them a shout out, support them, like what they're doing. It's just, mm-hmm. I, and, and then also too, if you're from the Australia area, the Edge of Existence also spends time, money, and research on both the uh, lead beaters possum and the uh, mountain pygmy possum too. So I just mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm, that was hitting mm-hmm. all the bases, and I there are I actually need to get somebody on that organization uh, to do an interview because I just I really uh, yes, really support yes. a lot of their work and love them. So big shout out to them. Check them out. They have a beautiful website, and then. If you're a fan of the Virginia possum, I highly recommend you check out this group called Opossum Awareness and Advocacy. Uh, They can be found on Facebook Mm -hmm. and also at www.opossumpower.org. I love that name, opossumpower.org. And basically their mission is to help educate the public, that's what we do, we love that, about the attributes Mm -hmm. of the possum. Um, including, of course, consuming lots of ticks and just other amazing facts about them. And they raise money and help give a lot of money to different opossum rescuers and 
rehab organizations. I was just really impressed with opossum awareness and advocacy about their strength as an educator and then also as a, a navigator to help give people resources of what to do if they find a, a baby Joey that's been abandoned or needs rehab. Uh, and mm-hmm. also, they're, you know, they're not promoters yep. of having opossum as pets because they don't make the best pets. So they're a great source to help guide you and steer you and just also educate you about all things opossum and their Facebook group is super fun. So follow them and give them a like on Facebook or check out their website. If you have any questions about the Virginia opossum, uh, they seem like a really good group. So thank you everyone at opossum awareness. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, that's awesome. And it's kind of like, you know, what my conservation tip of the week was, was, you know, wildlife rehab a little bit, like what to do. So that's amazing that you covered a group that that out there supports that. But basically, you know, if you do find a young opossum, so if you come up across, you know, you, you can come across a dead mom, which happens. And, you know, especially with like cars and stuff. So if you're ever near a road, be very careful. Don't run out in the middle of the road to, to get one of these animals. But if you do come across young opossums, if you don't hear the mom, you know, you can stop and just be quiet and listen for sneezing sounds. And that's the young trying to call its mom. Maybe just wait to make sure it's not separated from its mom. But but if you don't hear that, you can, you know, collect them up. Whenever you collect any wild animal, I mean, obviously be very careful, but with especially specific opossums, you can just put them in a box or, you know, and just kind of cover it. So it's kind of dark for them. And then you can contact some of these organizations to, to get a wildlife re- rehabilitator is what, what I did for a couple of years. One of the things is, like Angie said, don't care for the, the opossum yourself. It, it could be right. illegal depending yeah. on the laws, but Absolutely. basically you need to be licensed. Yeah. Yeah. And you can kill them. You, you don't know how to feed them. I specifically with opossums, we had to, you know, come up with special diets, you know, work with other rehabilitators, learn how to make the diets and how to feed them because they won't just chow down like a normal animal. You actually have to feed them specific ways. So you can contact a local opossum society in the United States if you're in the U.S., or if you're local, wherever you are in the world, local veterinarians are always a good source to tell you what to do with a wild animal because they'll know and they come across it. So anyways, awesome animal, Angie. I love them. They're, I, after working with them and releasing, like I said, up to, I think up to 50 over a couple of years doing this, it, it's just, I love them. They're amazing animals and they're so important. Yes. So important, thank you. So lo- important for our ecosystem. Yeah, Chris, you got to thank your local opossums for helping keep the tick population down this summer and just for all the other great things yes. that they do. <laughs> uh, they really are sometimes considered the underdog for some reason. And I don't know why, because they're charming and they help the ecosystem and they help yeah. us. So you can help them out by supporting one of the groups we just mentioned um, and or sharing this episode with one of your friends and family members who maybe didn't think that opossums are that cool because they will after hearing this, hopefully. So thank you for your time as always. Yes. As always. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.